why Google's latest Stadia gaming pitch seems so precarious. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about an article that I read just a few days ago, maybe even yesterday, that I thought was absolutely fascinating. Now, if you're not following every little thing in the world of gaming news, I don't blame you. Frankly, there's been a ton of it every single day this year, uh, seemingly. But one of the things that has caught my eye is Google's entrance into the video game world formally. Now, they've supported gaming to some extent on their Android platform and through Google Play. But with this Stadia initiative that maybe some of you haven't heard of, but some of you have, they are trying to get into video gaming with what amounts to a console platform, but without the box that you'd use Chromecast for, that you would actually just wind up streaming all your games to your various devices. And on its face, it's an interesting proposition, right? These video game companies, Microsoft, Sony, to a lesser extent, Nintendo, have been exploring streaming options for video games, trying to figure out the latency problem because digital streaming is so popular for television and for movies that this has always seemed like a possibility. PlayStation Now, at least part of it now, uh, is a streaming service. It uses the old Gaikai engine, modified a lot after they purchased that company, to try to deliver PlayStation experiences to you on the fly. And to some extent, it works. To some extent, it feels magical. Certainly those games that are turn-based or don't have kind of Twitch functionality, it really works. Uh, but Google Stadia is promising something different, to use all the power of Google to deliver something new. So there was an interview with Jade Raymond, who's in charge of making games for this thing in game industry, and I want to talk about that. But first, I kind of want to talk about what Stadia is, why I think it's in such a difficult position uh, after I saw the Stadia Connect, I think they called it, back in June, and just kind of give you the overlay of what we're talking about before we get into why I think the latest interview also gives me pause, also makes their messaging seem problematic, not just because of what they're saying, which maybe isn't that difficult to understand or even to believe at the outset, but because of the environment in which they are saying it, which is especially in respect of the last console generation and in that generation what the Xbox One was originally trying to do and what it was pitched at. So without further ado, let's take a look at the Stadia here. You've got a kind of typical modern Google web page that has a lot of white space. It doesn't say much. In introducing Stadia Premiere Edition. Here's a picture of the controller. Play Stadia with Premiere. Get access to Stadia. Get three free months of Stadia Pro. Combine it with the Google Chromecast Ultra so that it goes on your TV. Uh, use it on your other devices. Doesn't really say a whole bunch about what this is. Again, kind of an Apple approach here, the, the magic of technology. Don't worry about a lot of the details here. We're going to deliver games to you on a streaming basis right to your TV. You let us do the heavy lifting. You don't have to worry about it. And then you get most of the stuff down here in what we might call the fine print, the legalese, that if you follow virtual legality, you know I love. I love reading this stuff. But even here, it's kind of confusing. So I'm actually going to pull up a Twitter thread I did about this when it was first announced a couple months ago. But one of the things that pops out here is it says Stadia Pro three-month trial offer open to those who purchase the Premier Edition, which is essentially kind of the beta early access. Offer must be redeemed within one year, uh, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the trial period, you will automatically be charged the standard subscription price for Pro, which is not entirely clear about what that means from the website. 
You can cancel your trial at no charge. You will lose access to games unlocked in the subscription, which also isn't fully described. Uh, and that's where this gets a little bit difficult. Google has been fairly opaque as to how this entire business model works. I don't think it's impossible to understand, uh, but it is kind of a multi-tiered thing. So a lot of people wound up asking about it first uh, immediately after the Connect. And I think now that it's kind of a real thing, it's coming out in November, you're having more and more of these articles talking about it. What Stadia actually is, is kind of important to the discussion. So I'm going to read to you from my thread here in June of this year. Uh, because I think I did get exactly what this thing is, and I think it's useful for the entire discussion. So it says, okay, so Stadia's messaging was muddled enough. I've seen a bunch of people saying things which appear to get the model wrong, and this is Google's fault more than theirs. Here's the deal as best I can tell. And after I looked at all this and we talked to a bunch of people on Twitter and various other places, this is the model. Stadia is a digital game seller, really licensor if you follow virtual legality, but we're not going to get into it. Forget subscriptions for a minute when they talk about subscription services and pro and everything else. If you want to play Assassin's Creed on Google Stadia, you buy it from Google. And what has essentially been revealed now since then is at full price. You're buying this at full price just like you'd buy it from any other digital retailer. Presumably they will have sales and things like that. But you're buying it as a full price game. Eventually when the founders period has ended, the, the beta period here, that purchase will be enough for you to play your game on the Stadia portal whenever you want. So right now, they have it essentially as access. You have to buy this $100 plus package to get access to the Stadia portal. But eventually, it's just going to be a website. It's just going to be a portal that you can go to and you can play the games that you've purchased. Uh, and that's not now, but it will be eventually. But those games that you've purchased are limited. They're going to be locked to 1080p and 60fps. That's resolution and frame rate. Uh, and what Google has said is that they can go a lot higher, right? They're using all those fancy Google computers in their server farms or wherever, and they can go a lot higher. But you're locked to 1080p 60fps, even though you've purchased the game, unless you also buy a subscription service for what they call Pro at $10 a month that unlocks it to a higher resolution. I think they mostly promise 4K here and potentially higher frame rates. Uh, so you pay them $10 a month for Pro. So really, Pro is like paying for a bandwidth premium from Comcast or whomever. You are paying to get access to better performance. And in order to give a sweetener for Pro, they are adding what they are calling the library of games. So if you see reference in Stadia ads to Destiny 2, that is in their library of games. That's the first game in their library of games that if you subscribe to Pro, you get Destiny 2 for free. Destiny 2 being an interesting example here because most of Destiny 2, as it originally stood now is free. Now that wasn't known or maybe was just recently known when Stadia first announced that Destiny 2 would have this relationship that Bungie was going to take it and make it a free to play type game with add-ons. So what you're getting from Stadia is essentially all the add-ons, but Destiny 2 you can access from Steam right now or wherever you want for for free. It's called Destiny New Light. So that's of a limited value in and of itself, but the overall idea of a library of games absolutely fine. Good to have a sweetener. You don't get to keep those games when it lapses. That's the one area I didn't know in this thread, uh, but that is shown in the fine print in the Stadia site itself. Uh, so adding more complexity to the proceedings, Google has made it a requirement that you get one of these founder bundles, or I think they also have a founder's follow-up bundle called Premium Edition or something like that. So it's like expensive early access, uh, and that's what Stadia actually presents. So looking at it from a kind of business proposition, they're trying to hit a very small target, right? They're trying to hit a target of people that want instant access to AAA video games, for the most part, these third-party big things, Destiny, Assassin's Creed. These are the things that they've pitched it on. They want this access, but they aren't willing to pay what is 
not a nominal price, but a fairly low price here at the end of the generation for a PlayStation 4 Pro even, or an Xbox One X. They don't want to pay that price. They just want to get the games and maybe they're willing to subscribe for $120 a year or so uh, to get it in 4K. Maybe they're not. Uh, And this is all, of course, assuming that the technology works that the technology works perfectly, really. And I think we can assume that for the purpose of this video. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. I have my doubts on that, although I would love it. I I love technology. I love to see the magic happen. And I have no doubt that Google has enough money to throw at this thing that if there are solves to be found, they can find them. But uh, we are assuming that it all works, and it's still a very small target to hit because AAA gamers, people that want to play those games, probably are going to want to play The Last of Us Part Two, or probably are going to want to play Halo Infinite or anything else that's on the other major consoles. And so generally speaking, the people that are going to want to play those games are going to have at least one of the boxes, and that's going to take care of their needs without having to pay $10 a month to get the 4K that otherwise comes with a purchase on one of those consoles. So I, I view it as a, a limited business proposition right this second, but not... You know, not if Google is investing enough money in Google exclusives. If whatever the equivalent of Last of Us Part Two is on Stadia exists and you can get people into that ecosystem and used to using that portal and it gives them a good experience, then yeah, absolutely you can convince people to come over there to Google Stadia. The question is, would they do it? And the answers we got this week, the reason I'm making this video right now, are that maybe, maybe they'll do it. They didn't actually set this thing up. They're actually not launching this with that infrastructure in place. And that was a big, big surprise to me. So let's take a look at that interview, which I think is absolutely fascinating, very enlightening, and I highly recommend checking it out. You will see here I've highlighted a number of sections from the first half of the interview particularly, but I don't want to read everything to you because this deserves your clicks if you're interested in this subject matter. But this is an interview at Game Industry Biz says Google is making a spectrum of bets on Stadia content. And this is an interview with their games and entertainment boss, Jade Raymond, who you might recognize. She has been around the gaming industry for some time. And she had a number of interesting things to say about where they're at right now, what their plans are. And the way she frames these things is exactly the way when we talk about messaging and virtual legality or we just talk about reading news articles, it's exactly the way that should probably frighten you if you are thinking about investing in the Stadia ecosystem. Because we talk a lot about in virtual legality that you're only ever licensing software, but to some extent, Microsoft and Sony aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And when you license a movie from Vudu, it's backed by Walmart. And if it goes anywhere, it's probably getting sold. And you don't have these big things to worry about, about whether you've just wasted hundreds of dollars and it dissolves on you. In Google's case, that's not necessarily what happens with Google technology. We're going to talk about that towards the end of this video. But everybody that invests in something that is purely digital, purely ephemeral like this, which is a streaming service, always has in the back of their head now, okay, technology companies like to experiment. I need to make sure that you're in this for the long haul. And when you read this interview, it becomes unclear whether they are. And they certainly say all the right things to say that they are, but you don't necessarily get the uh, comfort of knowing that they are. So let's take a look at what this actually says. Some of the biggest questions about Stadia since the game streaming service was announced have been about how Google would handle its first foray into internal game development, games they make for themselves. To that end, Google VP and head of Stadia Games and Entertainment, Jade Raymond, speaks with Game Industry Biz about the company's strategy for the service. The role I'm filling as head of Stadia Games and Entertainment is building out all of the exclusive content for Stadia, Raymond says. We have a plan 
that includes building out a few different first-party studios and also building up the publishing organization to ship exclusive content created by indie devs and other external partners. Okay, sounds good. They have a plan. They're going to go forward with something. Now, you look at that and you say, okay, you have a plan. You had a plan like three years ago, right? This is already in fruition. And the answer to that is no. The first of those studios is going to be in Montreal, the company announced today. It's a familiar setting for Raymond, who not only grew up in the city, but had stints with Ubisoft and Electronic Arts in Montreal. Even so, the goal in front of Raymond is different, as the creation of third-party publishers like Ubisoft and EA serves slightly different purposes than those of a platform holder. It's very important for first-party games, in my opinion, to be games that wouldn't be possible on any other platform. I think that's what's really exciting and why we're building out the first-party teams. So their focus, their strategic focus on their games that they want to build are games that are only possible on Stadia or otherwise leverage Google technology. And that makes sense. If you actually follow Google as a tech company, one of the things they do with all of their experimental technology is they try to fuel the rest of their ecosystem. So we're going to see in this article, that's one of the kind of return on investment triggers that probably got this thing greenlit and funded in the first place, is that they can somehow use some of the other Google technology, advocate for it, show its usefulness for both this purpose and potentially selling it to enterprise or what have you. Continuing with the article, for Google Stadia, Raymond says she sees two primary paths to creating games impossible on other platforms. The first one is at the heart of the Stadia sales pitch. With all of the number crunching being done in the cloud, Google Games can be designed around the limits of its own hardware rather than those of the user's devices. There are a lot of things that being cloud native enables you that you're just not going to be able to see on other platforms. And I think that's the job of first party to really show that off and let people imagine what those things are. Couple things jump out here, right? We are going to talk about it the rest of this video. That's really one of the reasons I made this video. But the power of the cloud, if you're a gamer, if you're a game player, if you have followed this generation and you can go back all the way to the dark ages of 2013 for that original Xbox One presentation, we're going to talk about who made that presentation and why that's a part of this story as well. Then you remember the power of the cloud and Crackdown 3, and all of this other stuff, all these other pitches that were made in respect to the Xbox. And if you are following those things, I think you have an alarm bell. That doesn't mean this is the same technology. That doesn't mean Google Stadia is going to fall into the same traps that Microsoft did, where they never really realized those promises from 2013. It does mean that when we talk about messaging, that that's close enough in proximity, and you're pitching it to the same people that would have seen and paid attention to those things, that maybe that messaging is a problem because it does have those alarm bells. It does have that stink on it right now. And so you look at this and you say, well, okay, power the cloud, fine. I very much hope you crack this nut, Google, uh, but we've been down this road before and now I'm a little bit cautious. And then you say, okay, you're building up a studio right now. What kind of time frame are we talking about? And we get there in the end. The second big opportunity Raymond sees for Google's own Stadia games is the ability to incorporate the company's non-gaming technology. She specifically pointed to Google's AI tech as an opportunity, noting a duplex demo the company gave where an AI assistant called up a stylist to book a woman's haircut in a mostly natural sounding conversation. She then says, imagine those conversations in video games. 
And then she also says, hey, we might also be able to link to things directly from YouTube, which is, of course, a Google company. She says you could have a documentary about Atari. And then when the Atari logo pops up, you could play an Atari game. And you see in this interview a bunch of interesting ideas. You see it almost as a brainstorming session. You see her throwing things at the wall. But what you also see is that they haven't committed to any of these pathways yet, right? They have a bunch of interesting ideas. They want to see what happens. If you are being generous, you think this sounds very experimental, very Silicon Valley, very tech. They're ready to do whatever it is the developers come up with. They're ready to be flexible. If you're not that generous, you see something like uh, the Nintendo Wii U, where in every single E3 and every single presentation, you kind of get, well, what is, how are these, how are these things going to work? And you have, you know, Miyamoto or other people at Nintendo say, you know, developers are going to figure out cool ways to get them to work. But as part of that, Nintendo was also figuring out cool ways for it to work or not so cool ways, depending on how you feel about the Wii U. But Nintendo was leading the charge. So they had those early games that demonstrated some of the usefulness of that tablet. They had some late games that tried to demonstrate the usefulness of that tablet to essentially spark the fire for these independent or third party developers to go, "Okay, we can use the pad for this. That's pretty cool. We're going to do that with the pad. And here you have a Google Stadia that says, we're only going to have new games that only use the power of the cloud or leverage Google technologies or potentially link to YouTube in some way. And if you don't do that, we're probably not going to be very excited about potentially having you on our platform. Oh, and by the way, we don't have a proof of concept for that. At Google, we haven't gone so far as to even have anything ready for launch to show you what we might be thinking of. Instead, Think about all these dreams and all these great things. And I don't think that's bad. I'm a technologist. I'm a futurist. I love this stuff. But when you talk about investing in an ecosystem as a consumer, I look at this and say, all right, well, if you're waiting to figure out if something magical happens, I guess I'll wait to see if something magical happens. And so where is that AAA game? Where is that first party development that shows what you're talking about right now for the launch of your system, your platform? And it doesn't exist. This article continues. We asked about the timing of Google just now ramping up its game development efforts with the Montreal Studio. Given the nature of AAA dev cycles, couldn't Stadia's fate as a success or failure already be determined by the time the key titles are finally ready to launch? The answer to that is yes. It is a long-term view that Google is taking Raymond stresses. For a big bet and a huge new IP that's going to fully leverage the cloud, it may be several years. I think it would be. But we do have quite a few exclusive games in the works that will demonstrate some of the exciting things about the platform all along the path. It won't be four years before gamers get to see the new exclusive exciting content. So a couple things happen there, right? She says for a big bet, an actual new AAA IP, something that would uh, light, uh, light up the message boards or the various news articles at E3, an actual new big game, that won't be for several years. Google doesn't have any of those ready, none at all. But we might have little stuff. And we might have little stuff that leverages the cloud in some cool ways, some other stuff that is essentially in-house proof of concept for how you're going to get a YouTube thing over to Stadia that they think will be exclusive and exciting, but not anything that has those big bet AAA. And so it probably will be not four years, maybe necessarily for AAA, at least three, one would imagine, if nothing has started at all at this point in time. And we don't know what Google's team even looks like. We don't know whether they can actually produce something good or great, or that will get people in the door. So now you have a situation where if you're a consumer, if you're a game player, you look at this and you say, okay, I guess maybe I'll wait it out. Um, I can certainly play Destiny 2 on my PlayStation right now. I can certainly play Assassin's Creed on my Xbox right now. 
you don't have anything that brings me over necessarily. And I'm not convinced that you were all in on this until maybe yesterday, maybe whenever this interview happened and you announced the start of your new studio and you say you're going to have some stuff that you deliver. And that stuff is going to be based on the power of the cloud, which is already a somewhat suspect phrasing. And then you have the history of Google, which is what we're going to finish up with. Uh, but that's this, this, that's this interview. Again, I find it fascinating. I think it's absolutely a worthy read. If you're interested in the business of video games, if you're interested in what Google is trying to do, absolutely check it out. But in the same breath, I think it's important to really just kind of consider exactly why this messaging is kind of raising red flags, raising alarm bells for those of us that follow the gaming industry and not necessarily uh, fair to Google, but it's that they've stepped into this same kind of uh, situation where they're messaging the same way that the original Xbox was. I pulled up an Ars Technica article now called How the Xbox One Draws More Processing Power from Cloud Computing. This says, while Tuesday's Xbox One presentation answered some questions about Microsoft's upcoming system, it left just as many or more unsettled. And this is a discussion with the manager of Redmond Game Studios and platforms, Matt Booty, at the time in 2013, where he talks about things like lighting and physics modeling and fluid dynamics and cloth motion, which are all examples of effects that require a lot of upfront com computation that could instead be handled in the cloud without adding lag to gameplay, that the power of the cloud is going to make your Xbox One fantastic. And that never, ever happened. Um, there might be some instances in a couple of games where they use some kind of cloud computing. Off the top of my head, I don't know of them. Uh, and that really just goes to show that it was never really the centerpiece of what the Xbox One X could do, what they tried to sell it as. But you see the same kinds of thought patterns here that you have with the Google Stadia, where you talk about 300,000 servers. You talk about how they can lev leverage their Azure server system. They can leverage their other technologies to kind of feed the entirety of this giant monolithic beast at Microsoft in the same way that you hear talked about for Google. And you say, okay, well, that's interesting. That messaging is almost exactly the same. You know, who was in charge of Xbox at the time? So I pulled up a Eurogamer article that features an interview with Phil Harrison on Xbox One, the corporate vice president of something to do with games, as Eurogamer calls it. But he was the head of the Xbox initiative at this point, or at least the communications delivery mechanism at the time. He was the one that had these eight, nine, ten page interviews about what the Xbox One can do. I've highlighted only a few areas here. This is old news. This is about the Xbox One when it was launching originally. But look at the messaging here. But what I think Xbox One does is take the power inside the living room and support it by the power connected by the cloud. So we can do computational CPU work in the cloud to enhance the experience. That's amazing. That's an incredible proof point of the kind of unique capabilities that Microsoft has, particularly in Azure and cloud computing, which we've been doing for many years. And this article goes forever. And Eurogamer actually takes a slightly confrontational stance against Phil Harrison, which is interesting. You don't see that uh, now very much in 2019. Uh, but you have him referencing computation that is done in the cloud, multiple devices, multiple screens, ad infinitum, what they're doing with their enterprise software and how enterprise can inform the Xbox and how Xbox can inform enterprise and it can all work together in one glorious union. And you say, okay, Phil Harrison, that's super interesting. Obviously, the Xbox didn't wind up doing so well against the PlayStation 4. It did fine. The Xbox is fine, but it's selling something like half of the PlayStation 4 with the Switch doing uh, perhaps even better, certainly faster right now in 2019 than either of those systems is doing. But 
you say, okay, Rick, what does that matter? Sure, it shares the messaging. Phil Harrison, okay, that's slightly antagonistic against Eurogamer and about what he's being asked. And then you say, okay, let's take a look at this article from Variety. The head of Google Stadia discusses the reality of its dream. And we look a little bit further and we see in an interview with Variety, Phil Harrison, head of Stadia, talked about the promise of Google's tech, its philosophical approach to gaming, unanswered questions, and when the company plans to lend a bit more reality to its pitch in the way of hard facts. This is the same guy. This is Phil Harrison, the guy behind Xbox One, is now the guy behind Stadia. And this isn't to disparage him. This is a completely different technology than what Xbox One is. And this might have always been his dream, and now he's got the technology that can make it work. Absolutely. This is The point of this in the video is just to show the reason you're seeing this messaging alignment, the reason you are seeing all of these same kind of red flags that go with what we experienced in 2013 on with the Xbox One, is because it's the same guy. The same guy is running the Stadia initiative at Google. And somewhat unlike Xbox, one of the other problems that goes with this kind of adoption of Stadia, now that we know there aren't going to be any significant exclusives for years and years and years, now that we know to the extent they are getting exclusives, they're going to be primarily indie or small game based. They're throwing things at the wall to figure out what exactly is going to work. And maybe that's not a bad idea. I actually am pretty sympathetic to the experimental kind of vibes from a tech company trying to figure out what's going to work on their system. But at the same time that they're trying to figure out what's going to work, there's an option there that nothing winds up working terribly well. And they're asking people to invest in that system when Google pretty regularly terminates its technology experiments. This same week where they're trying to start selling the Stadia and having these interviews, they announced that they're cutting off Daydream VR, that they this started in 2016, was Google swing at a proper phone-based virtual reality. And they said, you know, it's just not working out. And the quote they actually give, they said, we saw a lot of potential in smartphone VR. I would say they see a lot of potential in Google Stadia. Being able to use the smartphone you carry with you everywhere to power an immersive on-the-go experience. But over time, we noticed some clear limitations constraining smartphone VR from being a viable long-term solution. Most notably, asking people to put their phone in the headset and lose access to the apps they use throughout the day causes immense friction. So they found this problem. They found this issue in their experimentation and they ditched it, which is one thing when you've got hardware that maybe isn't supported and that isn't great in and of itself. But when you talk about investing for the same price into this ecosystem with a brand new, what amounts to a startup, I know Google is a giant, giant corporation, but these initiatives that they do, they treat as startups. You have to prove your worth on an ongoing basis. And if it isn't worth what the company as a whole thinks it should be worth, they ditch you. There's a reason there's a Killed by Google website. And here it is, Killed by Google. I'll link this in the description of this video as well. But you see here, scrolling down a ton, a ton of initiatives that Google has killed over time. Uh, including just the most recent Daydream VR. But overall, I don't see this as a bad thing. I don't see tech companies as taking ideas out there, figuring out what works and what doesn't work as a bad thing. So I don't want you to take that away from this video. But what I do see it as is something where when you talk about an ecosystem like this, when you talk about a business model that I have trouble coming up with a good demographic target audience that is really going to be excited about investing in Stadia, and I have trouble with coming up with people then that are going to be motivated outside of the initial demographic to even go check it out when you don't have those games to offer. And you say those games are going to be, be available in three to four years when, in general, Google has a history 
of cutting off things on that time frame, saying, hey, this ROI isn't here. This isn't working out. And yes, that Jade Raymond interview that she has with Game Industry says a number of things, says they're making a lot of big bets on us. They're betting on independent games. They're betting on AAA games. They're building these studios. That might be the case. This might actually have more support in-house at Google than these other initiatives would have had, but we don't know that. And when you're asking consumers to come on board and then you're taking whether or not those consumers do come on board as an indication of whether to proceed with these investments, what I see here is a potential for essentially a catastrophic failure of the Google Stadia initiative and one that I don't blame people for not investing in. You know, it's one of those things where I love technology. I'm super interested to see if this works. And if it does work, I think it could be magical. The fact that you could just take a YouTube video and potentially go to a portal and play the game that is being played by your favorite streamer or whoever's talking about these things. You see a virtual legality video about something that is talking about a game and you say, hey, Rick, I want to play that game and maybe there's a link and you can play it through Stadia. I think that's potentially very, very cool. However, I don't necessarily see the business model working. I don't necessarily see the investment right now that Google would need to make it work. I see some problematic messaging. And at the end of the day, if all those things combine to mean that people stay away from it for a little while, I see Google throwing it in the trash if too many people do that. And so all of this together means that just like the title of this video, I think the messaging here of Google Stadia and their gaming initiative is very, very precarious. And I don't blame anybody for not jumping in with two feet, even if I think the technology might be cool, it might be magical. And then you add on to that. I said, we'd assume that it works in this video and we did. I think you add on to that, that maybe it doesn't work. Then you've got a real recipe for uh, reasons to not invest in that ecosystem and for it to not wind up working. I'll be happy to be wrong on that and for it to succeed and for it to be magical and wonderful and for then Google to make brand new games that everybody can enjoy. But it would surprise me if I am and I, I see the Stadia initiative as potentially uh, not working out so terribly well. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this, please like, please subscribe. We talk about these kinds of things in this channel all the time, whether that's about video games, software, technology, business, law, copyright, intellectual property, whatever it might be, combined with some videos on pop culture. You see here an impressions video on the latest Star Wars trailer. We try to keep it light. We try to keep it fun. We also try to keep it informative on this channel. Share it around with anybody you think might like it. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.